We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, as um, Vance uh, did his best to read that to you this morning. He, um, I told him, I said, um, brother, I said, I hate to do this to you, but I want all of, all of chapter 8 read. It's important for the context, it's important for them to see what's happening here. And then he asked me again when, he came, when I came out here, he's at the pulpit, standing here talking to him, he said, brother, you sure you want me to say all them names and everything? <clears throat> But, uh, but I do appreciate him, him doing that, and I appreciate y'all. Um, I think one of the things that you're going to see this morning, or I hope one of the things that you're going to see, is that these people that we're fixing to study, they had such a desire for the Word of God that they read, and you're going to see this, beginning in the book of Genesis, and they did it day after day after day, is what you're going to see at the end of chapter 8. But they read for many days in a row, from Genesis through, and we know that they had the, the first five books of the Old Testament. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the, <clears throat> excuse me, we also know that they likely had uh, Joshua and Judges, because this was after that. They likely had the, the Kings and the Chronicles. Uh, there were several books of the Old Testament that they had at this point in time, and they were reading it. <clears throat> now, it could have just been the first five books of the Old Testament, because that is what is primarily referred to as the law of God, and this is what we are, uh, see referred to in this chapter. But nonetheless, what I want you to understand is that the Bible just shows us how attentive they were to listen to the Word just be read. And then, of course, we see that it was later taught and explained and they, people gave the understanding of it. But it just, it, it's interesting to me that most of us, or maybe some of us at least, probably zoned out while Vance was reading at this morning. You probably got to a point that you were like, yeah, okay, and then here we are, we're kind of off in la-la land or just not really paying that close attention. And I just wonder, what is it that, that actually calls these people to have such a heart to hear the Word day after day and be attentive to it? To the point that you're going to see that they were so attentive that the responses are evidence that they heard and they understood the words that were being read to them. And you know, I'm hoping that we can draw out of this message this morning some right responses to hearing the Word of God. When we hear the Word of God, how should we respond? Should it be a response like, some of us do to where we zone out and we end up daydreaming or thinking about other things that are going to be going on after church or, or you're, you're going to be concerned about the time. Is the preacher going to be done by 12 o'clock? Probably not. I'll go ahead and get that out there. But no matter what you're thinking about, I'm hoping that this morning that we can draw enough responses out of this that Maybe you can learn some lessons for yourself and how you should respond when the Word of God is read, first and foremost. Because that's another thing that's important for me. This is the reason why I ask somebody to read the Scriptures every week. Because the Bible directs us that Paul told Timothy, he said, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. In other words... 
Paul understood that for the gathered church, it was important just to simply have public reading of the Scriptures. There is a power and there is a presence of God in His reading of His Word. And so I pray this morning that we're able to draw some things out of this so that whether it's the public reading of Scripture or whether it's me just preaching over the Scriptures and giving the understanding and giving the sense so that you are able to apply it to your life, no matter what it is, my hope is that you can draw something out of this so that you respond differently any time the Scriptures are presented before you. That's what we're looking for this morning. If you've got your outline that I gave you or your bulletin, it's inside of the bulletin, I believe. I didn't have time to just do a simple outline. It's been a busy week, and so I did good just to get a message together, just to be honest with you, all right? So please be patient with me. I'm a, you, you may walk out the door this morning and say, well, pastor, they can't all be winners. I, I, and I may have to look at you and say, amen, amen. I, I, we're doing the best we can. But I do believe that there's going to be plenty of lessons to draw out of here that you're going to receive something from the Lord this morning. But over the last few weeks, we've drawn several lessons out of this book of Nehemiah. We've learned how important it is to persistently pray specifically for, for our needs and our desires even. We saw that in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah prayed for four to five months, day and night, crying out to God persistently, fervently, specifically for what he needed and what he wanted in his life. And he waited and he waited and I'm sure there were probably times that he was tempted to quit praying and yet he kept praying. He kept knowing that God was hearing his prayers and sure enough, four to five months later, God gave him exactly what he was asking for. Now again, I told you when I taught that lesson, I'm not telling you that that's what God is always going to do. Sometimes what's best for you or for His people is not what you are specifically asking for. And so we have to know that God is a good Father, better than any Father we have ever known, and He will give us what is best for us. And so... But again, we learned the lesson about how important specific, persistent prayer is in our life. Another lesson that we learned, we learned the power of our story. We learned that everybody should have a story in their life of the things that God has done for them. If you have no other story except your salvation story, that is a story to tell how God saved you from your sin. It don't matter whether you think you were the worst sinner there ever has been or whether you were pretty much raised in church your whole life and for the most part you tried to do what was right and you tried to follow what was right. You are still a sinner. And even though your sin may not be on a same scale as the world puts certain sins on, God's scale makes no difference. The liar that just told a little white lie is going to receive the same punishment that, the, that Hitler receives. You understand what I'm saying? And so I want you to understand that if you just simply have a story of simply that God saved me from my sin condition, then you have a story of what God has done for you. And that story has the power to change so many lives around you. And we saw that lesson. So God gives you your story to share with others and there is great power in it. 
We've learned about the importance of humility and unity and prayer and exhortation and supporting each other in the work so that the work continues. And that was last week. So we've drawn so many lessons and so many applications out of the book of Nehemiah. But again, today... I want you to remember, we're going to look at their response to the Word of God. Because see, simply once they have got the temple built, once the law has been established, and now once the people are being taught and the wall is built, and the kingdom of God kind of has a pretty decent construction going on. Now, Ezra comes back in the picture here. Not Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes back to Persia. Because if you remember when we started... The king told Nehemiah, give me a specific time as to how long you're going to be gone and when you're going to come back. Nehemiah has to come back to serve his position in the Persian Empire. Ezra now steps up and takes the reins and Ezra now takes the Word of God. He's a scribe and now they are in what we read is the seventh month. The Bible told us that in the seventh month this was a feast that they were supposed to celebrate to the Lord that they had not celebrated since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. So go back to the book of Joshua. They have not celebrated it through many kings, through many, um, uh, many prophets, through many priests, through many people. They are just now celebrating this feast that God gave them for the purpose of retelling the story of God's goodness in their lives. For instance, when we do the Lord's Supper every, uh, every four weeks or however often that, that we do do it. We do it because God gave it to us as a way to retell our salvation story. To retell what God did to save us from our sins. It is a story, that it is a feast that we do to demonstrate to each other the faith that we have in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is something we do to proclaim our faith in the Lord's death until the day that He comes back. We keep doing it and we keep doing it. And so this feast is a very similar feast. It was called the Feast of Booths and it was celebrated in the seventh month. And one of the things that they were supposed to do, they were supposed to go out into the woods and grab uh, olive leaves and palm branches and they were supposed to come in and build temporary booths because this is what they did and how God provided for them in the wilderness. Y'all remember that? When God brought them out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, God still provided shelter for them by teaching them how to build booths and live in booths. And then God provided for them by giving them quail and giving them manna from heaven and water from a rock. And, and this time of the Feast of Booths is a time to retell the story. And so all the Jews were supposed to gather together, everybody, man, woman, child, they gathered together in the city of Jerusalem and they built booths and they celebrated together as they feasted and remembered the manna from heaven. And they remembered God's provision of water from a rock and quail from the sky and so many different things that God did for them in the wilderness. And so as they're retelling this story... When you go back and you look at God's commands for this story, one of the things that they were supposed to do was the priest gathered everybody together and he read to them the salvation story. He read the Word of God. He read the law of God to them. And they started in Genesis at the creation 
and they went through the Exodus story and they went through the salvation story and they looked at everything that God had did from them from the beginning all the way up to this moment and they worshipped and they praised and they celebrated and they just remembered God's goodness in these feasts. Now the walls are built and Ezra has the responsibility of leading this feast feast of opening up the Word of God to them, reading the Word, and this is going to last for several days. Now, I want you to notice the first thing that we see that happens in Nehemiah chapter 8. I got that wrong on your outline. I put 9 in there, so I apologize. It's actually Nehemiah chapter 8 is where this outline comes from. But if you'll read verse 1 and 2 with me, I want you to see the first thing we draw out of this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Now the reason why I think this is important because one of the celebrations they did during the the Feast of Booths is that they would take water from the pool of Siloam, I believe it was, and they would take buckets of this water, pitchers of this water, and they would go up and pour it in front of the altar of the temple representing God pouring water out of a rock. And so again, it was a retelling of the story. So I believe that the reason why they're in front of the water gate is because this is where the only source of water or where the source of water for Jerusalem is. And so they're probably here doing part of this feast and they all the people gather. Now that's important. Keep reading with me. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now that's interesting to me. Notice it said, they gathered together. They told Ezra to bring the Bible in and read the Bible to them. Ezra did not have to get on whatever landline they used back then. Ezra did not have to get on the phone or send out letters or anything else to tell these people, hey, Church is going to start at this time in this place and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Word for you. No, just the opposite happened. The people had an eagerness to hear the Word. See, one of the things that you have to remember is that Ezra had already taught these people that the reason why you ended up in Babylonian captivity to begin with is because you forsook God and you forsook His Word. You started doing exactly what He told you not to do, and His anger was kindled against you, and because of that you have endured His discipline. Now God in His mercy and His great grace has brought you back, and now you are in a place that you can be renewed with God, that God is restoring you, that God is saving you. And so now the people understanding that, they step up and they know if there's one thing we need to get this thing off right, we need the Word of God. We need to hear what God requires of us. We need to hear where we have fallen short. We need to be able to hear who God is and what He is like and what He has done so that we can worship and praise and so that we can respond accordingly. But notice again, 
Ezra did not have to call a single person. You know, when today is over, I'm going to, in my head, start looking because I'll start picturing you and how you were seated in my head today. And I'm going to start saying, okay, the Odoms were missing. The Durhams were missing. I'm going to start being able to look around. I'm going to be able to say, Chris Pope is missing. I'm going to be able to look around. I'm not, going to just, I'm not trying to call, just call people out, okay? But my point is, what I'm going to do is me and my wife, when we get home and we talk more about kind of who was missing, then we're going to start making some phone calls or sending some text messages out just to say, hey, we missed you. We know that you're normally here. Is everything okay? Ezra didn't have to do that. You know why? Because these people had such a desire to hear the Word of God. Now again, I'm not saying the Odoms have COVID. They need to stay home. (laughs) The Durhams have hand, foot, and mouth and everything. So I'm not saying anything about people not coming for certain reasons. But I am talking about that there are some of us that just get in the habit that we get up and we had a late night the night before. We were just sleepy or whatever the case may be. And we had too many other things going on over the weekend. More things were more important. And so because we had to do those things, we weren't able to gather for the Word of God. That's what I'm talking about. He didn't have to do that. These people had an eagerness to hear the Word of God because they knew if I want to continue to stay in a right relationship with God, or let me say this, in a healthy relationship with God, then it is going to require me to make sure that I am hearing from Him, that I'm listening, that I'm obeying, that I'm actually uh, uh, learning more about who He is and worshiping Him for who He is, and and, and I have a desire to follow Him. And so whenever we see these things in the Bible that they had such an eagerness to hear the Word of God, I look within myself and I go, why don't I have such an eagerness to seek out the Word of God? And I think one of the answers is, the Word of God has become so readily available to us. It's something that you and I can pick up, we can leave in the back seat of our car, we can throw it on the mantle when we get home, we can put it... I mean. It's, it's just readily available for us. See, these people, they didn't have access readily available to them to the Word of God. The truth of the matter is, I would say that likely many, if not most of these, probably didn't even have the ability to read it for themselves. Now, I don't know that, but I would think that that's probably likely. And so they really depended on someone who was educated to be able to share the Word of God with them. And so they went seeking to hear from God, seeking to hear from the man of God. And so they have this desire and this eagerness to draw near to God. They want to learn His ways. They want to be obedient. They want to be blessed by God again. Because the reason why they're not in the blessing of God like they were is because they have fell in disobedience to the Word of God. You know, Jesus said in John 8 verse 47, He said, He who is of God hears God's words. Now think about that for just a second. He who is of God hears God's words. You want to know how one way you can know whether or not you are of God or not? Do you have a desire to hear His Word? 
Do you want to hear His words? Because somebody that says, I'm following God and I'm in Jesus and I'm, I'm dying to my sin and I've been called out of darkness and I've been called into the life of Christ and the light of Christ, but yet they have no desire to hear His word? Can they really be of God? If they are of God, there is a very unhealthy place in their life in their relationship with God. Do you understand that? And so he who is of God hears God's words. In that same chapter, he says, he who is of God not only hears God's word, but he keeps God's word. Remember, you have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, right? And so there should be something in you that says, God, I want to hear you. I'm coming out of my sin. You've called me out of this. And so I'm following you. Someone who says that they're of God and that God has gave them new life and they're still just trying to dabble in both worlds, I'm sorry, you've got some changes to make. You've got some changes to make. And so Jesus said that. He who is of God hears God's Word and he keeps God's Word. Job said in Job 23 verse 12, he said, I have treasured God's words more than my necessary food. Did you catch that? A man of God understands, I need the words of God in my life because I can't continue coming out of darkness and being obedient to Him and pursuing Him without hearing His words. And so this man of God, Job, he treasured the words of God's mouth more than his necessary food. That's pretty special, right? See, we don't treasure the words of God more than we treasure whatever you did this weekend that that keeps you away from church. Come on, somebody. Can I preach to you this morning or y'all going to get mad at me? We don't treasure the Word of God more than simple activities in the world. This man of God so understood his need and desire to follow God and walk with God that he treasured the words of God more than his necessary food. Psalm chapter 19 verse 10 says, The words of God are more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This man of God so needed and wanted the Word of God that it was more important to him than money, than gold, than the sweetest drippings of the honeycomb. There was nothing that was more important. Why? Because his relationship with God was more important than anything else in his life. And in order to maintain that relationship, he has to hear the Word of God. Another thing, Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, he says, The blessed man meditates on God's Word day and night. His delight is in it. It's a delight for him to go after it. Peter told us, I don't remember, I think it's somewhere around 1 Peter 2 or 3, I think it's chapter 2. He said, um, Like newborn babes in Christ, crave or desire the pure milk of the Word of God. Now you think about that for a minute. Do you have to convince a baby that they need milk? 
No, as a matter of fact, all you need to do is let that baby go without milk for any length of time, and what are you going to hear? There's going to be some crying, okay? What Peter is saying is that a man of God that has been called out of his darkness, and this is important again, because the question still comes down to this. Have you been called out of the darkness of sin? Have you seen the destruction of sin and where it puts you with God? And have you been saved by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive you of those sins? And have you been called out of darkness into following Jesus Christ? And if you have, then there should be like a newborn baby that cries for milk because it needs milk to grow. There should be within this newborn babe of Christ a desire and a craving, God, I want to follow You. Christ, I want to be obedient to You. You are my Lord. You are my Master. You are saving me and leading me out of all of this sin. And there is nothing more important than You. And so as a result of that, there should be within the man of God, just like you read in these Psalms and all these other places, there should be something that doesn't have to just, you have to stir up within you and say, okay, I, I just got to desire God's Word more. I just got to desire God's Word more. No. You should look at your own self inwardly and ask this question. Do I have a call in my life to come out of sin? Do I have a call in my life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And if I do, the only way that this happens is through faith in His Word. I believe it. I hear it. I want to hear it. I want to follow it. And because of that, it is more precious to me than gold. It is more precious to me than honeycomb or the drippings of honeycomb. This is the heart that it should be. Peter actually addresses this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 15. Look at this. First off, he says, we've been granted His precious and very great promises. What promise is that? That He's going to save us from sin and that He's going to make us right with Him and that we're going to spend an eternity with Him, right? We've been granted that. That's great, great promises. So that through those promises, and you believing in them, because we're saved by faith, right? So that through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, God puts His Spirit within you because you believe and you trust His promises. And what's the evidence that you believe and trust His promises? That you're coming out of darkness and that you're pursuing Christ. That's the evidence. Alright, now keep reading with me. And you have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So there's the difference. On the one hand, because of the promises of God and because of your faith in them, God has given you His Holy Spirit that leads you in His path, that guides you. On the other hand, you have escaped the corruption that was in the world because of your sin. You've escaped that. God has called you out of that. So, for this very reason, so because that's true in your life, make every effort. There is work that is required on your part. Make every effort. You have to do this, church. 
You have to make every effort to supplement your faith. What's it mean to what's a supplement? Add to. Add to. You add to because the foundation of it is your faith. We're saved by faith and faith alone, right? But now we don't just stop there. Now we add to our faith. We supplement our faith with virtue. What is virtue? Moral excellence. So now it's not just behavior modification. It's that I've been saved from sin. I've been given His divine nature. He has saved me from the corruption that is in this world. And now I have a heart to follow Him. And so I am now going to become morally excellent. I'm not trying to become perfect, but as close as I can to being like Him, I'm doing that. And so I'm adding to my faith virtue, moral excellence. And then you add to your virtue knowledge. Why? Because how do you know what is morally excellent? Because let me tell you something. Your standard of goodness and God's standard of goodness, they're so far apart they can't even get close. So we have to add knowledge. We have to learn. Where does that knowledge come from? The Word of God. So we add to our knowledge, now, self-control. Why? Because what good is it to have the knowledge and to practice virtue and be morally excellent and make that decision today, but then something comes up tomorrow and you don't do it tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? So now we have to add to that self-control so that we continuously make sure that we are maintaining this walk. And now we add to our self-control steadfastness or perseverance because what good is it if you do it for a month but then you quit? And so you have to continuously persevere in this faith, in this moral excellence, in this gaining of knowledge This is a something, remember, you have to make every effort to do this. Wake up, church. You have to make every effort to do this. And then notice what he says next. We add to our steadfastness, to our steadfastness or our perseverance, godliness. We supplement that with godliness. Why? Because godliness is making sure that as we do this, that it's continuously trying to put on the character of God. It's not just me trying to be a better person so people in the world respect me and think I'm a good person. It's not behavioral modification. It is a life change that God is doing inside of you because you have been delivered from the corruption of sin and He's given you His Holy Spirit, His divine nature, to follow Him. And so we add godliness to our perseverance to make sure that it continues to be for a godly manner. And then we add to our godliness brotherly affection because what good is... How can you say you're doing this for God whom you can't see when you can't even love your brother whom you see. 1 John. Y'all remember that? So we have to add our brotherly affection to it. Love one another. That's following His commands. And then finally, not just brotherly affection, but agape love. Self-sacrificing love for, for God and for all our brothers and sisters. And notice what he says next. For if these qualities... Please pay attention to this. For if these qualities are yours and they're what? 
and they're increasing. In other words, you should be growing in this, right? If these qualities are yours and they're increasing, look what they do. Your great effort, your hard work of following the Holy Spirit in your heart and trusting by faith in the promises of God, look what it does. They keep you from being ineffective. They keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you are pursuing the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as you do these things, if they all are yours. Notice what he says next. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Now, here's what Peter's saying, just to put it nicely. I ain't saying you ain't saved. But you sure don't act like it. I ain't saying that you don't have a relationship with Christ, but if these things are lacking and you don't see this increasing in your life, I am telling you that something is missing. Notice that he is so blind that he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you remember that God saved you from the corruption and the wrath in the world and you believe that God saved you and His promises are true for you and you're following Him by faith and you're trusting in Him and you're dying to yourself daily and you're forsaking the world and the things of the world to pursue Him because there is nothing more precious than Him. He says, therefore, brothers, if you're missing that, then you need to be even more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now think about what he's saying there. If you're lacking these things, then you need to make a confirmation in you whether or not you have actually been called out of darkness and into His light. You need to make sure that your, that your calling is genuine that you need to make sure that your faith in His promises is genuine. You need to be able to ask yourself this question. Do I really believe the promises of God? And do I really believe that they are more to be desired than anything in this world? Do I really believe that all of this world is corrupted by sin and it is under the wrath of God? Do I really believe that He has saved me from that and that He is giving me His Spirit and leading me in His ways? You need to be all the more diligent to confirm. What does it mean to confirm something? Make sure that you know that you know that you know that you have seen the change of God in your life. That you have seen the call out of sin and into His marvelous light. And so if we do that, He says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now He's not saying that you won't ever sin again, because other scriptures, even Peter says, if we say we have no sin, we're a what? We're a liar. Alright? What is He talking about here? You are never going to lose your salvation. Ever. Because the evidence of God at work in your life is there. 
your calling and your election has been made sure. From what? From seeing these qualities in your life. From seeing that there is a desire to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to follow Him in obedience and to love God the way that He loved you. For in this way, in what way? In adding to your faith the supplements. Moral excellence, self-control, knowledge, godliness, brotherly affection. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. Either you see the evidence or one of two things. Maybe your call and election is not sure. Just maybe. And what do you say? Well, okay, preacher, what do I do? Repent and believe the gospel. Amen. Two things. Repent and believe the gospel. If you have a call to come out of darkness into His light, your first step is to believe it, to trust God in it, and to repent. Say, God, I'm turning to you. And then as you do that, you believe the gospel. That Jesus died to save me from all of my sins. And I trust it. And I believe it. And I'm getting back on the path where I pursue Him. And so either your calling and election is not sure, or you are so far backslidden that you're blind. And have forgotten what God has called you out of and what God has cleansed you from. Somebody say amen if you're tracking with me. All right. Therefore, look what, look what Peter said. Therefore, because of this, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter said, I'm going to keep... I don't care if you've heard this message a hundred times. I don't care if you hear it a thousand times. I'm going to keep sharing this word with you because this is so important for your calling and your election and for your growth in Christ Jesus. I think it is right, Peter says, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And then notice what he says. <clears throat> go, to the, go to the 14th verse, Nathan, if, if I gave that to you. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. In other words, Peter said, I know I'm fixing to die. Alright? I know I'm fixing to die. So I'm going to make sure I keep stirring you up. I keep reminding you of th these things. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter said, if there was one message that I would preach to you over and over and over again, this is the one. When I'm dead and gone, I want to know that you have this Word. I want to know that you're reading this Word. I want to know you're hearing this Word and understanding this Word. And I'm going to make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So again, there ought to be something inside of you that cries out like a newborn baby cries for milk. That says, God, I want to grow. I want to grow. You know, there's something in me that cries and says, God, I'm so far where I should be. Why, why am I not further along than I am? And there is a holy dissatisfaction in my heart 
And there should be that with you. Unless indeed you're, you're, you're tracking right on par with where you're supposed to be. But there ought to be something that rises up inside of you that says, God, I've got to grow. I've got, to, I've got to keep coming out of darkness. I've got to keep learning what, what displeases you. I've got, to keep, I've got to keep hearing your word. I've got to keep worshiping you. I've got to have more reasons to, to, to praise you. I've got to have more reasons to, to weep for my sin in my life and to repent and turn away from it and to keep believing the gospel. And the only way I'm going to get that is if I keep hearing your word And there ought to be a desire and an eagerness in you to do it. And that's where these people are at. They're here. They don't have to wait on Ezra to say, church is going to be at 10.30 Sunday morning. We'll be here. If you're late, don't worry about it. If you're coming in on two wheels, slinging gravel, coming in the parking lot, it's okay. No. No, these people were there apparently before Ezra. And these people went and got Ezra and said, Ezra, go get it. And bring it. Bring it, preacher. We want to hear it. They have an eagerness to hear the Word. Next, go to verse uh, 2 with me. So Ezra the priest, he brought it. (laughs) Ezra brought the law before the assembly. Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. Listen, I'm a big big advocate of um, raising our children in, in the sanctuary. I'm not anti-children's church, but I am anti for any kid that is old enough to understand. Because I'm going to tell you something. Those kids pick up more than you will ever imagine they pick up. And for a kid that is able to understand the Word of God as it's being taught, we, we dis... We take away from them. You say, oh, preacher, but you're over, the, you're over their head. Can I tell you something? There was a time in your life that the English language was over your head. But we kept speaking it. And guess what happened as we kept speaking it? You learned it. You learned it. And you got pretty fluent in it. And so I'm telling you, it ain't a bad thing for things to be over your head. Because if I keep speaking it and I keep preaching it, even if it is over your head, one day you're going to pick up on it. One day you're going to pick up on it. And so here we have everybody that could understand what they heard. They gather on the first day of the seventh month. And then verse 3, look what it says. And he read it and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Now listen, it's important you understand, when they say early morning, they're talking about at the, crack of, at, the, at the break of day. At the break of day. So let's just say the sun rises, I know I'm going to be off, let's say the sun rises at, or the day breaks at 6 o'clock in the morning. And let's say midday here, they're saying this is lunchtime. How long are they fixing to stand and listen to the Word of God, everybody who is able? Six hours. Six hours. And you sitting here, I got started at 11.15 and you going, Preacher, you're going to get done in time. Oh. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. All right. Here, here's my point. When you have an eagerness for the Word of God, 
When there is a heart in you that is sick of your sin and you want to come out of it and you want to hear the Word of God and you want to follow God and you want to grow in it and you want these qualities to be in you and abounding so that you know an entrance is being provided for you that will never be taken away, then time should never be a factor. Let me say that again for the, for the people in the back. I'm just kidding. If you have an eagerness for the Word of God and you have a desire in you, like a newborn babe desires milk, then there ought to be something within you that says, Preacher, bring it. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. That's one of the things I love going on foreign missions. You know, a lot of times you'll go to these places where the Word of God is not readily available to you. They don't even know the stories of Noah and the ark or, or Adam and Eve. Um, they, they don't know. They, they've heard the gospel as far as Jesus died to save you. They have a, a head knowledge of the gospel, but no biblical knowledge. And, and, and I love to go and sit in a room and talk with them because for the most part, they'll sit there as long as you'll te- teach. As long as you'll teach, I'll listen. I'll hear it. Why? Because there's an eagerness for it. Time should never be a factor as long as we understand that God's Word is being taught and that I'm learning and that I'm able to grow in it. Time should never be a factor. Number three, go to verse 4 and 5. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. You know, I wonder if this is where the pulpit come from. I really do. In other words, what do we see here? They reverence the Word of God. They reverence the Word of God. They made a wooden stand to lift Him up so that He was able to be above the people with the Word of God and present the Word of God. And look what it says next. And beside Him stood all those names that I'm not going to say again on His left hand. Verse 5 says... And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. In other words, they recognized the reverence in this written Word. They knew that this is not just an old book full of old stories that has no relevance for us today. No, they said this is the law of God. This is the very Word of God. And it deserves reverence. And they lift it up and they put Ezra on the platform and they say, Ezra, bring it. Read it. Read it as long as you want to read it. And then when Ezra opens it and he begins to read, the people stand up. And you know, that's something we do out of habit here. Actually, I picked it up in African American churches back when I used to minister in them a lot. That was just something they did out of habit. And I said, you know what? I like that. Reverence for the Word of God. And I came back here and I said, all right, guys, we're going to stand when we read this Word because this is the living and the active Word of God. This is not a dead Word. This is not a Word that is unable to accomplish its purpose. This Word is living. In other words, God's presence is still in it today. And this Word is active. It is able to accomplish everything that God sends it out to do. And because of that, their response to this was that they stood up, they lifted it up, they listened attentively is what the Word says. 
They gathered together without anybody having to call them up and ask them to come or beg them to come to church. The truth of the matter is, if I've got to call you and beg you to come to church, there's a problem. There's a problem. And I don't say that. I don't say that to try to demean you. I don't. I say that to tell you that you need to make your call and your election sure because like Peter, I question whether or not it's there. But if you've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, there should be within you this eagerness to hear the Word of God. I want to hear it. I want to grow in it. I want to, I want to cling to it and it is more precious to me than gold. It's more precious to me than the sweet drippings of the honeycomb. I was really going to try to, um, to finish, but I don't want to try to rush through it. I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to pick up next week on the next response, and that's that God's Word always demands a response. It always demands a response. And we'll pick up on that next week, but the people shouted, Amen, Amen. In other words, that's absolute truth, preacher. That's the truth. That's what they said. Some of them raised their hands in praise. Some of them bowed their faces to the dirt in humility. Some of them, uh, uh, some of them mourned and wept over their sin. There were so many different responses to the Word of God. And today I simply close with telling you this. You heard the Word of God. Just a few verses of it, but you heard it. And now, you've got a few choices. You can get mad at me and say, Preacher, you was a little mean today. You can do that. Or, you can say, Preacher, thank you for preaching the Word of God because I need to see my sin. I need some self-evaluation. I need to know where I'm at. And now, no matter what it is that God has spoke to you, your time now is to respond. Should you humble yourself and ask forgiveness? Should you repent and believe the gospel and start coming out of sin and into His marvelous light? Should you praise Him for who He is and what He's done for you in your life? Should you thank Him that those qualities are there in your life? What is it that God's Word spoken to you this morning would demand of you? But make no mistake about it. When you hear God's Word, it always demands a response. Every time. And so I pray that whatever it is that you would do to respond to God's Word this morning, not to me, not to me, not to me at all. The truth of the matter is, i got some responding to do too i got some responding to do. Because this Word always speaks to me first. Every time. I try never to come in here and preach a Word to you that didn't first. That I didn't first say, God, what what does this mean to me? God, what kind of response do, do I need for this? And so don't respond for me. Respond because you heard the Word of God and either you believe it or you don't. The choice is yours today for how you'll respond to it.